As, as we start today, go ahead, and if you've got your Bibles with you, turn to John, cha- John chapter 15. Go ahead and get your finger marked there. Um, but I just want to start by thinking about uh, the fact that there's, at least in my mind, there's this inherent desire in each of us, I think, probably, at least most of us, there's an inherent desire to take the easy way, to take the easy way out of things. To, I, I, I don't... You know, sometimes that means we don't necessarily follow through with things or, or that we just want the handout because, you know, really getting it the easy way is so much easier. Uh, and I think that that desire is probably likely, it's likely there probably most of us. And, that, and I think that that's probably why, um, well, get, let's, let's think about this. Get Rich Quick Schemes. You guys uh, have seen the advertisements probably on television, or, or maybe you get the emails that say, if you'll just send me this amount of money, I'll send you some instructions on how to get rich quick. And, and the one I thought of this week as I was thinking about this was there was this crazy dude that used to run around. He had a green jacket, and it had question marks all over it. Do you guys remember that guy? He had a tele, an infomercial on TV, and, and he was really spastic about the way that he did his advertisement. He's, his, his, his point was his, it was, his premise was that... If you would just send him $40, he'd send you a book that would teach you how to get money from the government. Because they've got these billions of dollars just sitting around waiting for somebody to apply for them and take them. And if you don't get it, somebody else will get it. That was his whole premise. And so, you know, he says, send me 40 bucks, and I'll send you this book. And it'll tell you how to get this money. Well, come to find out, now that now that, that book has gone out to... Millions of people, and I hope there's no one in this room that bought it and is going to be insulted by me talking about it. But now that that book's gone out and, and, and people have read it, come to find out much of the money he spoke about were things like welfare and food stamps and things like that, things we already know about. And much of the money that uh, was available in grants and things like that wasn't even available to the public. It wasn't available to people to, to, to have. You know, it was it was government money, and there was well, there was money he was really talking about, but you never would have been able to touch it. And the book that he says that he wrote and sold for forty dollars, you could have gone online and gotten it for free. You see, I I, I think that scams like this work because we have this innate desire, this this thing that's in us to find pleasure. And happiness. And we think that in some way, if we reach out and grab hold of those things, that, that we'll find it. You see, the, these scam waters, they, they know. They're not going to fool everybody. They're not going to get every person to call and buy that book or, or, or get into this next pyramid scam. They're, they're not going to get every person that they talk to involved. But you know what they'll do? They'll get enough. And the people that are really getting rich off of these things are really the guys running the scams. And everybody else is left holding this bag, and it's like, well, it's not doing for me what I wanted it to do. It's not fulfilling me the way I thought it would. In fact, it's leaving me empty, and I've just spent money, and it's not coming back to me in any way. You see, because that's what happens when we cling to things of the world. That's what happens when we look to things of the world to do what only Jesus can do. In this season of Advent, as we've looked at Jesus, our focus 
truth be told, he's not our focus only during the season of Advent. But specifically in this season of Advent, as we think about his coming, in that he came and lived on the earth, and that he's coming again. We've studied hope. We've seen Jesus as the good shepherd the door to the pen that, that, that keeps out those that don't belong in the fold and allows in the sheep that are His. As the good shepherd, and doing what all good shepherds do, protecting His flock, keeping them from wolves, and providing for them, making sure they have grass to eat and water to drink. We've seen in that that Jesus truly is our only hope. He truly is that that place where we find hope, a hope that doesn't disappoint or that's not wishful thinking, but a hope that we can count on, a hope that's a confident expectation in the things to come. You see, we've also seen Jesus as our peace. In the work that he came and he did while he was here on earth and, and by providing sacrifice and the shedding of His blood, He enables us to be reconciled. He reconciles us to the Father, giving us peace first with God. But we also read last week of how He tears down the barriers and, and, and tears down the violence between people and, 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 and makes a way for us to be connected in family. He is our peace. He's also, as we'll talk about today, He is our joy, our source of joy. You see what all of these scam artists and, and, and all, of these, all of these schemes that we, can, that we can chase after and those easy things that we can grab hold of in this world, they will leave us wanting. They will leave us empty. But in Jesus... We find true happiness. We can find we, we can find this abiding sense of joy, this lasting contentment and pleasure. Read with me if you would in John chapter fifteen. Verse eleven. <clears throat> he says. This is Jesus speaking. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. The very first thing I want to mention from that verse and probably is is fairly obvious, but sometimes I think is overlooked. Jesus wants you to be happy. He wants you to understand and know pleasure. He wants you to to experience happiness. But the sad truth is, is that sometimes, sometimes we look at his church and we look at his bride, and rather than seeing them full of joy, we see long faces and 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 and, and being around them is more like going to a funeral than, than being a part of a celebration. We, we think that there's some, some innate um, or, or, or some, some place where, where we find ourselves more holy if we're very serious. 
And we walk around with our long faces. He is really a serious man. And he really loves the Lord. But I think, I, I think that as we, as we experience this, or not experience this, but as we read this passage and study it, you will see what I have seen. Jesus doesn't simply expect you to, to walk through this earth and, and, and live in this experience and never experience joy. He wants you to know joy. He wants you to be happy. His work in you should result in this happiness. Hear it again. I tell you these things that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You see, when I, I, I think that when the Westminster Shorter Catechism was written, they were right when they wrote that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Sometimes I think we live life as believers trying to see ourselves glorify God and forgetting to enjoy Him. Jesus says He's telling us these things. He's telling us certain things that we may know His joy because He wants us to be happy. C.S. Lewis wrote, he says this, or not C.S. Lewis, John Piper, I'm sorry, wrote detailing a, a, a concept of Christian hedonism. He says that God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in Him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. And and maybe as you sit here and hear this term, Christian hedonism, you think, well, that's an oxymoron that doesn't seem like those two things can go together. Because the idea of hedonism is is this doctrine or this philosophy of searching for pleasure for pleasure's sake, trying to live this life that, that only gives us pleasure and never deals with pain or trial or suffering. And, and this idea of hedonism in our culture standpoint leads to great sin. In fact, there's, there's uh, resorts that have named themselves hedonism. And, and, and this is how they advertise for, for their services. It says this on, on one of their web pages. Sleep in. Stay up late. Give up counting calories. Have a drink before noon. Give up mineral water. Dine in shorts. Talk to strangers. Don't make your bed. Go skinny dipping. Don't call your mother. Let your hair down. Don't pay for anything. Don't leave a tip. Be your beautiful self. In spectacular Negril or Runaway Bay, Jamaica. You see, it's all an exalting of self and a fulfilling of selfish and self-centered desires. It goes on to say hedonism is a sandbox. Hedonism, the resort. Hedonism is a sandbox for your inner child. Nourishment for the mind, body, spirit, and soul. They are so misplaced and so misled. Pleasure comes in many forms. Choose one or two or more. And with absolutely everything included in one upfront price, you never have to think about money. Not even tips. You don't have to think about money. You don't even have to think about the people that are helping you and doing something in, in, in return for that. You don't even have to care about anybody but yourself. See, that's the cultural view of hedonism. And so when we try to connect those two terms, it, it seems like they don't. It seems like they clash. 
If you're hearing what that says for all it's worth, it's, it's something that should cause revolt in us. Absolutely, it should cause a, something, it should cause our stomachs to twist and turn and be sickened by it. See, I, I, I think John Piper's point though is, is not that that's what we chase after. He says, let me read it again. I'm going to read it because I'll mess it up. God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in Him. You see, and I think that this passage points to that same thing is that, is that as, as we live life and as we, as we walk this walk and as we talk this talk, we're not to run around the world seeking after selfish desires, but we're to find ourselves seeking His joy and being filled by Him and being touched by His, His work and being changed by Him and, and, and the sinful cravings being replaced by the work of Christ. See, pleasure and happiness are not the problem. It's those things that we seek to find pleasure and happiness in that give us the greatest problem. Finding ourselves happiness or happy with a sense of fulfillment, it's not bad. It's not bad. The problem with hedonism is that it's about self. There are obviously many things in this world that, that would bring us pleasure, that would dishonor God, and I am not promoting those in any way. Do not hear me promoting that in any way. That is not what this passage refers to. It, it, it could be whether it's some sexual sin or, or, or overindulgence in some good thing or, or, or in some way taking something that's good and exalting it to a place where it's your God and you're given to it and you, you build your life around it and you worship it. Those things are sin and they will not bring us joy. They should bring us conviction and, and pain and suffering. Because that's what sin does. But what I think we can learn in this verse is that our happiness, our pleasure, our satisfaction, when wrapped up in Jesus, is exactly what He wants for us. To know Him and to be connected with Him, there should be a residing joy in us. We should have a happiness that rings out of us. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. And sometimes I'm afraid that as believers, we tie our joy to our circumstances in life. And we determine God's goodness or His love based on how things are going. And we look like a roller coaster ride with the ups and downs of life. And as things are going well and we're on the upside and, and things are great, oh, we're so happy because God is so good and we're so happy. But when we deal with the trials and the tribulations and the suffering of life that comes because of sin... we begin to get very somber and serious. And that joy that should be residing in us is suddenly squelched. But I believe that Jesus wants you to be happy. And then if your happiness 
if your joy is wrapped up in who He is and in what He's done, in His coming and His coming again, in His promises and in His power, you no longer are riding a roller coaster, but your joy, your happiness, your pleasure, your satisfaction, it's built on a rock that will never shake and never shatter and never tremble. Your happiness will be solid because it's in Jesus Christ, the rock, our Redeemer and our salvation. Jesus wants you to be happy, but He wants to be the focus of your happiness. He wants to be that source that provides you that joy. And I love this about this passage. Because as He gives it to them, and He says to them, I've told you these things, so that my joy can be in you. It's His joy. That He wants to be their joy. And as He talks about that transaction, He doesn't want them to experience it on some small level. He wants them to know it completely, to know it fully. And as I studied that word this week, I was blown away by this picture. Because as you take that Greek word that we translate as fully... And you begin to study it. Strong's is, is the one that really gave me this picture. Strong's, Strong's uh, dictionary gave me this picture uh, of, of being made replete or being made complete. But then they used the word cram. And I'm picturing Jesus pushing his joy into you so that there's no room left for anything Else, he's cramming it into every nook and cranny. It should complete your life. That's all you should know. And so I, with John Piper, call you to live in Christian, Christian hedonism. Finding your joy not in the things of the world, but living for the pleasure and satisfaction. Let me rephrase that. Living in the pleasure and satisfaction that comes from being connected to the Savior. C.S. Lewis wrote, Our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink, sex, and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily plead, pleased. And with him, and at the hearing of the words of Jesus, I want this joy. And I want you to know this joy that comes from being connected to the Savior. I want you, with the psalmist, David, when, when you hear these words, to, to know that you are connected and that you are being filled with His joy. He says in Psalm 37, 4, Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Don't miss that passage. If the desires of your heart... Or a nice house and a good car to drive and, uh, and, and, and 
wealth and, and financial stability. That's not what this passage is telling you that you will find. He says, delight yourself in the Lord when your desire is for God. You'll be given the desires of your heart. He says again in Psalm 42, or Psalm, Psalm 42, 1 through 2, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. You see, they're not looking for pleasure and simple satisfaction in what this world has to offer. I think you've heard me say it enough, and I think you likely know it on your own. Everything this world has to offer is temporary and leaves you empty and wanting. But what God has to offer is eternal. And He doesn't want you to have it simply just a little bit. He wants you to know His joy. Fully, completely, so that it's crammed into every nook and cranny. How about Moses, as he's remembered in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 through 27? By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. You see, even Moses, looking forward to the coming Redeemer, looking forward to, to something that was simply a promise, was willing to walk away from everything that Pharaoh had to offer. From everything that he'd grown up around. Remember, he was raised in the Pharaoh's courts. He knew the, the great good or the great things that he could have as, as he lived in those courts. He knew the power and the status that came with that. He understood what it was, but he saw the promise of a Savior. He saw his Redeemer and he recognized that that's worth more. He's worth more. And he walked away from it. Not fearing anger. But persevering. Persevering. And then especially as Jesus, our great example... It says in Hebrews 12, 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, all too often we're willing to accept what this world has to offer. And as we look at people who are accepting what this world has to offer, we get turned off and we, get, and we look at happiness and pleasure and we think, oh, we can't have anything to do with that. And I don't want to promote those things. But what I want to call you to is what Jesus has called you to. To sing Him as the source of your joy.
to knowing Him and pursuing Him and desiring Him to, 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 to shape your life and form your life around all that He says and all that He's promised and all that He's done and simply who He is. The incarnate God who put on flesh and dwelt among us. He wants us to know His joy. He wants it to be our joy. He wants us to know it fully. And the great news about this is is that He didn't give us some mysterious code that we had to break. He didn't put together some treasure map for us to find. He had simply told these people these things, told them some things, and said, I've told you this because I want you to know this joy. And so in this Advent season, as we sit here and we're reminded that comes with Jesus, joy comes with Jesus, what did he say? What could he have told them? What could he have told them that led to joy? Well, we won't read it all, but it really comprises, I think, John chapter 14 and chapter 15. And we're just going to work our way back through those two chapters. And we're going to see what he told them. In John 15.10, he says this, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. And see, immediately, then he says, These things I've spoken to you. Obedience to Jesus leads to joy. There is no human or worldly prescription that will lead you to joy or this joy that that we can know in Jesus. If you're married, you're not going to find joy in your spouse. They may make you happy sometimes. But more than likely, there's going to be times when they don't make you happy. If you're single, getting married is not going to give you joy. If you're poor, being rich, it's not going to make you happy. You see, there is nothing that this world has to offer. You cannot look inside yourself. You cannot look in the people that you cherish and love. I hope you love and cherish people. It's another mark of what God's done in your life. But you can't look to them for this joy. You can't find that in them. Only Jesus is the source of that joy. And living by His commandments, living in, in, in the way that He's called us to. See, sin brings condemnation and death, but, but obedience to Jesus leads to joy. He commands us to believe. He commands us to, lo- to, to love actively and sacrificially. He commands us to, to hope in Him. He commands us to seek Him and His kingdom, or, or His righteousness and His kingdom first. It, it's those things that, that lead to joy. And he also tells them, if you go to John chapter 15, verse 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that. He it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. As you see God work in your life, and it bears fruit, and He changes you, and He converts you, and He sanctifies you, and He makes you His own, it leads to joy. It should lead to happiness. Because as He does those things, you recognize that you're His. That you're connected to Him. That that He's at work in you. And He's at work through you. 
See, it leads to joy to know that we're connected to the Savior. He also says in, in John 14, verse 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Truth revealed by the Holy Spirit brings joy. Even when that truth isn't easy to hear. The truth is that we don't deserve what Jesus did for us on the cross. We are sinners. We're depraved. But the truth, as we hear that, and as we're confronted by it, and it sinks into our hearts, and, and, and the work of the Holy Spirit brings it home and changes us and makes us new, and we hear it, and we come out of it, it leads to joy. It's hard to, to, to hear someone come and confront you with the truth of sin, but as the Holy Spirit convicts you of that truth, and as you're brought to repentance out of it, and, you're, and you overcome it, it leads to joy. And he also says, <clears throat> in John chapter 14, verse 2, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, what have I told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, <laughs> that where I am you may be also. And when you begin to think about the context of this passage, he's making them a promise. You see, Jesus is sitting with them and speaking to them just before he's arrested. In fact, this is likely happening at, at the Last Supper. And he's, he's sitting there talking to them about, about what's about to happen. And he's giving them this breakdown. And, he, and he's about to tell them that, that, that he's going away. But, but he tells them and proceeds it with a promise that he's going to prepare a place. And that since he's going to prepare a place, they can know that he's coming back to get them. And if he's coming back to get them, do you know who else he's coming back to get? The rest of his church. The believers. And that hope and that excitement and, and that and that. That energy that builds with that leads to joy. It leads to happiness. It leads to pleasure. It leads to finding ourselves satisfied. Knowing that these things of this world, those things that we could cling to, could cling to, are going to fade. They're going to falter and they're going to fall apart. But Jesus Christ in His power will return. And we're not left here to suffer endlessly and in vain. You see, He's, he's allowing this for a time. As we celebrate Advent, we don't just remember His coming. We look forward to His coming again. And it gives us joy. The other neat thing about this passage or this one little verse is it sits right at the crux of this conversation. And He's just given, this, given them this instruction. And he's told them how to live. And He's told them what to look forward to. And He tells them these things. And He says, I've told you this. So that you can know my joy. And you can know it fully. 
But what's about to happen is not going to be easy. See, because people hate me. And because they hate him, or he says, because they hate me, they're going to hate you. And he says in John chapter 15 again, In verse 20, remember the word that I said to you, a servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. You see, there is no easy way to know joy. be connected to the Savior, our suffering Savior guarantees you the suffering. But know this. In the face of it, He wants you to experience His joy. You see, He's bigger, more powerful, greater, further lasting than anything this world can bring against us. As we stand and follow a man that they assume is long dead and experience joy, they won't understand. As we try to live moral lives in response to the work that he's done and experience joy, they're not going to get it. As we as believers call others to believe, we may very well be persecuted. But Jesus told us these things so that as we face that opposition, His joy could become our joy and we could know it fully. So as you sit here in this Christmas season, and we've spent three weeks talking about what Jesus has done and what he provides and what comes with him in our connection to him, would you say you're experiencing joy? Are you chasing after the things that this world has to offer? Are you trying to grab hold of every little thing you can get your hands on to live up to some cultural expectation or, 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 or to meet somebody, uh, somebody, somebody's idea of what status or power or control looks like? Or are you recognizing that all of that is worthless without having the Savior your Savior at the center. You see, it's not that we can't enjoy good friends and fellowship. Last night was a perfect example. I thought it was a great time. I, th- I thought it, it was a beautiful time. People talking and laughing and enjoying just being together. It's not that that's a bad thing. But it can't be put over the Savior.
You see, it's, it's not that you can't sit and enjoy some good food. And, 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 and it's not that you can't enjoy things that this world has to offer when they're not sin, as long as they don't take the place of the Savior. So where are you seeking your joy? Where are you finding your pleasure and your satisfaction? I want you, along with me, to know this joy. I want you to feel this desperate desire to see Him and be near Him. And and with David, cry out as the deer pants for the water. So my soul longs after you. That's where you're going to find his joy. And he wants you to know it. Let's pray.